Very fun to be with Spark again. The last time I was here, I was way in over my head doing dissertation writing and not being super personable. So people who met me at that time were probably like, her social skills are terrible. But it's really only because I was so buried in what I was doing and like determined to like etch out this dissertation. And lucky you, what I'm talking about tonight actually comes out of that dissertation. So there's actually something I was thinking today as I was on a run, um, kind of revisiting places that I used to run when I was here before, about how sweet the journey has been um, to be able to come back to Spark and to see a lot of you in familiar faces and to go, this is like you hosted me and you were kind to me and friends for me when I was thinking through a lot of these things for the very first time. And so now I get to share them with you and I'm pretty excited and really excited that all of this falls into this greater series that you're doing, This Is Our Story. Um, Such an amazing thing to be able to go back through and remind ourselves what the story really is, right? So um, if I have read your website correctly and uh, spied correctly on your podcast, then you've done quite a bit to look at who God is, characters of God, um, who he is in his design for creation, like this ultimate creator, designer God, and how amazing that is, how he dreams big for his people. But then you've also learned about how complicated people are. And so these really complex lives and how they're not really perfect. And so they create lots of conflict. And yet there is covenant and a promise of a king who is coming. Does that kind of, that sounds about right, right? Awesome. Good. Um, Okay, so I would say, along with this idea of this bigger story of God, that another element that I would like to contribute into that conversation is the idea of place, of belonging, this human belonging in that and into place, which then also means community, um, place to like physical connection to the ground. Um, And if you read any of the modern like psychology, sociology, philosophy, neuroscience even, people are talking about the significance of humans being connected to place, how we become fully human when we're connected to place. Now, this is kind of newer for our modern society, um, especially given the, the age of technology that we live in. Uh, this was not new for ancient people, for ancient, and there's still like two-thirds of the world. This is not new information for them. It's kind of new information for us. Um, and so we have to think through this idea of place. And I think that God has very specific ideas of what it means to be fully human, a flourishing human, as you are connected to place. So we are going to look at this concept of place and have a conversation with Deuteronomy. Now, if you've known me for more than five minutes, typically, you know, I think everything goes back to Deuteronomy. So I think, uh, you know, whether you're an Old Testament scholar, New Testament scholar, any kind of church person, you may be unchurched, but everything goes back to Deuteronomy. I can always find a reference to Deuteronomy. It's built in. It needs to be grounded in the book of Deuteronomy. So we're having a conversation tonight with the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I'll be the ventriloquist speaking on behalf of this book, um, which I would say 
when I was writing my dissertation and people in the cafe would say, hey, what are you working on? And I'd say, the book of Deuteronomy, it's like a conversation stopper. No one knows where to go with that, uh, which sometimes is very helpful to know that if you need to stop conversation with anyone. Just throw out the word Deuteronomy. They don't know what to do. Uh, But I think Deuteronomy is a fascinating book, and there's so much to learn from this book. So this book is totally different than other books in the Pentateuch. So if we think of the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy is really different. It's actually different than the books that come after it, too. Um, the context of it, the narrative that Deuteronomy tells about itself is the Israelites are standing outside the boundaries of the land, looking into the land where they are going to go. So they've been wandering in the wilderness, and now they're getting ready to go into the place that God has promised that he would give them. Now, this book, in trying to then describe place— Right, which is why it's such a good conversation partner for us tonight. As it's trying to describe place, it's casting vision for how good it really could be. So if you're an Israelite and you need to be able to look backwards to something or you're, you're wanting to touch on significant narratives from within your community that talks about the ideal flourishing of personhood, Um, The ideal flourishing of land. The ideal version of God being with his people. Like, does anything come to mind when you're like, let's look back. Let's see. Is there an example within our self-telling narratives that tells us what perfect shalom is? Anyone? Nice. Garden. Eden. Right? It's in the narratives the Israelites had of themselves. It is garden that shows us the perfect design of God. And so Deuteronomy borrows tons of creation language and starts casting a vision saying, okay, uh, fellow Israelites, we're getting ready to go into this place. Let's see if we can't just make Eden happen again. Not that the land itself is Eden, It's not making that claim. It's just saying, we have a version of ideal. Let's see, what is it that we need to do? Like, what's the practical actions that we should do in order to bring about God's version of good? That's a good question, right? It's good questions for us to be thinking about. So as I go on and talk about Deuteronomy, I'm actually going to toss out there for you five different things that I think they're all interconnected. Um, They are quite dominant within the book of Deuteronomy. Whether you remember all five or not, not so much of a big deal. But I would say, try to at least grab hold of a few of them that hit you intimately. Some of them will mean they'll resonate more with you than others. Try to hold on to those and already start thinking about how can we take it from Deuteronomy into our modern day, right? And so that's what I'm hoping our conversation later becomes after dinner, during dinner, after dinner, into the wee hours of the morning. I mean, maybe not that long. I could, but you know. Um, So start thinking about what that means for you. What are ideas? How can we as a community start embracing some of these ideas and not leaving them with the Israelites, but pulling them into our modern day? Okay, so the book of Deuteronomy, first off, 
It is casting vision. So it is telling the people, here we go, we're going into the land. You kind of have to set up this idea of all the potential that it has, that it can be. It actually starts with a not. What is it not? So Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we're going to hang out quite a bit in Deuteronomy. So if you have Bibles or if you want to scroll to it on your phone, um, Deuteronomy 11 is a good chapter to kind of hang out in. I'll put some of the verses up on the screen. Okay, so Deuteronomy 11 um, starts with this where, um, like, so this is one of the sermons, and it says, For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt. And so then we have to pause and say, what do we know about Egypt? It's a huge empire, which means it's quite wealthy. Um, it controls a lot of trade. Um, it has very highly developed culture, poetry, narratives, wisdom literature, and systems of belief. Extremely well developed. Um, the verse continues to go on. So it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow seed and water it with your foot, like a vegetable garden. The idea is in Egypt, it is so easy. There's so much fertile soil and there's plenty of water along the Nile River. It was very easy without hardly any human effort to make agriculture grow. And so Egypt becomes a place of self-sufficiency. It's easy. You know, you have all that you need by just trying a little. And yet Deuteronomy says, that's not the place. This place that's wealthy, that has culture, that can control its own borders, forcing people in or out, like it's in control and dominating the world. That kind of self-sufficiency and domination is not the healthy place that you are going. Okay, so if it's not that, right, does anyone feel slightly uncomfortable right now? Okay. So, uh, So Deuteronomy says, these are the things Egypt is. So instead of all these things, we would say Egypt looks pretty good, huge human empire. Deuteronomy says, it's an iron furnace. It's oppression. It's a house of slavery. It is Pharaoh's house. So the whole entire country feeds up to one person at the pinnacle at the top. That's what Egypt is. It's uh, repeatedly throughout Deuteronomy, it refers to the diseases of Egypt. Egypt then, based on the view of Deuteronomy, Egypt is the antithetical kingdom and place to anything God would design. Okay, so don't create Egypt. Don't replicate Egypt when you go into this place. Great. What are we supposed to do? So if we're casting vision, where should we go with that? Okay, so Deuteronomy 11, if we continue on, then says this is the place that you're going into. So starting in verse 11, it says, But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. Right? So it's a heaven-fed land. 
It's a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. So it's a land God pays attention to. His eyes are on that particular place. And then if we drop down, he, it talks about in verse 15. So he gives the early rains, the latter rains. He gives the grass in your fields for your cattle. You will eat and be satisfied. So it's a land that is God's. God is paying attention to it. God is the one who waters it. And he gives not only everything you need for the human food, but he's also giving grass for your cattle. Like his scope of vision of what this place is, is bigger than just the humanity getting ready to go into it, right? So which means the land you're going into is not the self-sufficient land. It's the land that depends on God. And so go into the land and depend on God in the same way. Deuteronomy has another view of the land, kind of big picture, casting vision. Um, this map, which if you've done Garden to Garden, um, lots of these teachings that Pastor Danielle does, you've probably seen maps like this. Uh, so I have a green oval, which is basically around the land that we're talking about here in Deuteronomy. Very small, minutia little part of the land, squeezed in between water and desert. Like there's such a narrow slice of land that people can actually live on. All the arrows that are up on the screen, the blue arrows are uh, water trade routes. The red arrows are land trade routes. Now, if we were to look just at the land in the oval, we would say, that's a terrible place to go. There's lots of mountains. There's no regular water. It's a land that doesn't have any kind of natural ability to produce an empire. In fact, it's a land that, the actual way the land works, it actually pulls people apart. It doesn't unify them. It separates them because there's so many different microcosms all over the place that you have people living in wilderness and people living like in lush territory, and they tend to separate based on those boundaries. Okay, so... It's not so nice just yet, right? Like, it's not a resource-rich kind of land. However, when we look at the map and we think about where the trade routes are, we go, there is something that is hugely valuable based on the placement of that land. Right? So what do you see? What is one of the benefits of living in the Oval? Everything passes through your land. Okay, so you may not ever be able to go out, conquer, and dominate the world, but the world is going to pass through you. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 4. This is when Deuteronomy recognizes the reality of the land. And it's kind of setting this up because it's talking about if you go in and if you live according to the covenant and the rules and the statutes that God has put forth. It says in verse 6, so uh, Deuteronomy 4, verse 6. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all of these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
So how is the whole world going to hear about God's design for place, for being fully human, to be fully flourishing? Well, the land, everyone in the surrounding area has to pass through their land at some point. So the people aren't going to go out and dominate the world, but if they stand and act according to the way God wants them to be, if they reflect God's design into the world, the world will then hear. This is the healthy place. Okay, so let's be a little bit more practical because that's really nice and all, like nice casting vision. But what actions, what do we actually need to do to make this Eden-like land come to, come to being? Okay, so casting visions, how do we become this good place, this like Edenic type place? So here are my five This is how I've kind of simplified it down to five. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 12. There is one place. So in all of the land, in all your different ecosystems, no matter how far you have to go, there is one central place where God is going to reside in the middle of his people. Which means that everyone, no matter where you live, no matter how diverse your culture is, everyone comes together to one place and they get their identity, their national narrative from one God. So he has to be at the center of all things. Now forgive, this is like my super basic graphic. Um, the star would be like the tabernacle or the temple, right? This is the place that is representing for us God's residence among his people. All the circles, let's just say they're all cities. Okay, so we have cities that are quite large, cities that are really small, cities that are close to tabernacle or temple, and some that are very far away, which means you're going to have people who are shepherds, people who are farmers. You're going to have men. You're going to have women. You're going to have people on the upper end of the economy and the people who are barely surviving. You're going to have diversity among the people, but they all come to the middle to take from the middle, to take from God what his design for a healthy place really is. And then you take that vision back out into your community and you live it out in the proper way. It's going to look different for people who are shepherds and look different than people who are farmers. But it's all basically the same identity, the same national story. Okay, so how do you make a healthy place? You put God in the center. Deuteronomy 11. We could go back to Deuteronomy. It's also in Deuteronomy 6, but... We'll hang out in 11, um, since that's where I took you earlier. So what else are you going to do? Well, you're going to take these words of God, and you're going to mark liminal places. So liminal places would be, um, they tend to be, we call them almost non-places. They're the in-between zones, right? It's like the door frame. Is the door frame around that door in the hallway or in the sanctuary? Well, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of both and neither. It's like a weird transitional spot. Okay, so again, Deuteronomy, super wonderful because it recognizes several significant liminal places within the lives of people and says, mark those liminal places with God's vision 
for how to flourish well as a human. So in Deuteronomy 11, so it says in verse 18, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. So in the innermost portion of your being. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, right? The edge, the liminal space of your body as your body then interacts with the world. Keep God's words on this, like making the determination of how you go from your innermost being to your interactions outward. So teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, the beginnings and ends of the day. Blur those with the continual thinking of God's design for being fully human. Write them on the doorpost of your house. So as you go from your private space, family space, into your community, Make sure that you're reminding yourself then to go out and engage with the community in the way according to God's word. And then on the, um, the gates of your city, on your city gates. So as you leave your community and go out into the world, mark that spot too. So Deuteronomy is really, it's quite brilliant because it goes from the innermost, smallest, most personal place that has to be impressed with God's word all the way out to how your community goes out and engages the whole rest of the world. Make sure that entire community is acting according to God's design as well. Okay, so these two ideas um, of creating a healthy space or place um, and putting God at the center, marking, marking liminal places, we could say then also goes into memory and place. So memory and place are intimately connected. You cannot separate them. Um, so if you're thinking of a memory of an event in your past, like just think of this past Christmas, no matter what memory or event you're thinking of, it's almost always in placed. Were you in a family room? Were you with your family? You were with friends. You were um, in Mountain View or you were in Colorado or, you know, you're in placed somewhere. Memories are totally connected to the places where those things happened, which then also mean place holds the memory. Okay, so has anyone had an experience kind of like what I've been going through the last couple days as I've gone for a run? And there's certain thoughts and memories I have not thought about for four years. But as I ran down a certain path and I hit like the boathouse and there were all these sailboats out on a lake, I was like, oh, dude, I was trying to figure out chapter three <laughs> the last time I ran this, like several times. And so I get not only a memory of an event, but the emotion connected to that event. Do, do you resonate with what I'm saying? Awesome. I, I kind of have a hand raise amen from the front. Okay, so again, Deuteronomy makes use of this. So this picture is a picture of Ebal and Gerizim. So Ebal on the right, Gerizim over there on the left. So we have a very significant event in the past for Israelite in the first generation, right? So the second generation is going into the land. They don't remember standing at Mount Sinai 
getting the law and how crazy that event was. That wasn't their event. It's not their personal memory. It belongs to their parents. And so the instruction is when you go into the land, you're going to find two mountains. You're going to stand half the people on one mountain, half on the other. One is going to be blessings. One is going to be curses. You're going to re-agree to the covenant. This does several different things. It brings the past memory of a distant mountain and a distant time with a distant generation and puts it right in the middle of their everyday. So the current generation can say the memory actually belongs to us too. Plus, these mountains are on a very significant local road that runs along the spine of the hill country, which means lots of people are going back and forth on the road. And every time you pass the mountain, like the running paths for me, you may not be considering the covenant. You may not be thinking about God's ideal for place. But you pass by and you're like, right, blessings and curses according to how we choose to live to reflect God's design. Right? So memory and place. Okay, now if we are then talking about Deuteronomy is trying to get the people to go back to the garden and the ideal version of right relatedness. So how do people interact with God? Put God in the center. How do people interact with each other? Well, we've already done that a little bit, but we're going to talk about that again in a moment. Uh, But then how are people going to interact with land, creation, which is not forgotten in Deuteronomy? So there's verses that are scattered all throughout the book that say things like, when you go and are um, at war with another city, do not destroy the trees because you're not at war with the trees. You're at war with the people. It's so interesting. Ancient Near Eastern kings used to, if they were laying siege to a city, they would destroy, like not just burn, not just raid the crops, destroy everything and till salt into the soil to make it impossible to use. So they were destroying the land for future generations. And God specifically tells his people, you do not get to go out and destroy the land. The land is God's, right? It's the land that God's eyes are on. You don't have the right to go out and destroy it. You're not at war with creation. Different, like really simple things like, ah, you're walking down the road. Uh, You happen to see a bird. The bird's in the nest. There's eggs in the nest. Don't take both. Take the eggs. Take the bird. But you can only take one. So the purpose is, again, you're allowing the cycle of creation to continue, right? So the idea is you're not over-extracting everything you can from creation, right? You're making sure that it can continue to flourish. Okay, all the way down to simple, like, animal rights issues. The oxen that are grinding your grain, do not muzzle them. Let them eat grain as they're working. Okay, now what this actually means for the farmer, that's actually quite a bit of grain the farmer can lose. 
to especially a large animal like oxen. But the idea is the oxen is working for you. Treat it well. Okay, so what? You lose some grain. But it's God's land anyway. He's the one bringing the rain anyway. So that even the animals that are doing this work for you so that you flourish, so that you have the grain you need to make the bread, treat it humanely. Right? So you get this idea that this ideal place that you're going into has God at the center. You're marking liminal place. You're caring for creation. Right? And all of this is shaping your attitude for how you're going to be interacting with each other, with creation, and with God. And I would say almost as a culmination, and I say this only because I'm a foodie and I love food, so this is kind of the pinnacle. Uh, But Deuteronomy has very specific ideas about feasting. Okay, so this land is God's land. You're not allowed to over-extract from the land. You're supposed to monitor your attitude towards other people and towards creation, which also means for people who are farmers, leave the edges of your field unharvested. If you've gone through your vineyard once and there are still clusters that weren't quite ripe, leave the grapes on the vine. Let those who are poor go through and pick up the rest. Okay, so yes, it is a way to kind of, to allow all people in the community to work. It gives them, it's like a self-respect, right? They get to work part of the field. They're impoverished. They probably don't have land they themselves can own, right? And it gives them an opportunity to go out and collect. But it also quite significantly gives them the ability to belong to part of the community. So, Three times a year, the whole community is going together to the center place where God resides. Everyone is supposed to bring food. If you are impoverished, you don't own any land, you have nothing to bring. Unless the farmers have gone, I buy into the inconvenient generosity bit. I will allow you to go out and harvest or pick up the grain that has fallen. Now everyone in the community has something they can bring and contribute to the middle. And when you all show up, everyone knows we're eating from God's table because this is God's land to begin with. So it flattens out the economic divide, the generational divides, the job divides. And everyone is together remembering their history and eating from God's provision to begin with. So it's a really powerful way for the people to all come together. And when they come together and they are rehearsing their story and rehearsing their narrative, they are taking diverse people with diverse experiences and remembering, not just recalling to mind the things that have happened, And the narrative they belong to, but they are remembering the community. Do you remember? We all belong. And it connects everyone, and then they take that out back into their communities. So when we think about Deuteronomy, we're thinking about this casting vision for an ideal place. right? We're looking for something that is going to end up being like an Eden. 
And we do that by putting God in the center, marking liminal places, taking care of creation, remembering, feasting, celebrating well together. Right? All of this leads us to think of, if we were to summarize, like what is a healthy place that God wants us to, to develop and to create? We have to get away from the idea that place is a zero-sum game. And place is not that way. Place is, um, the healthiness of place is when you contribute. Even though it sim- seems inconvenient, even though it's not super, um, it's not like your instinct to do, it buoys up everyone. And it creates the healthy place, which actually is what you are grounded in yourself So you do end up flourishing at the end, right? So the idea is in this great story that is our story, God cares quite a bit about place, about how we invest in place, how we become fully human because of place. Um, How do we go out and make God's reality of Eden happen? We do it by being mindful of who God is within our community how we're interacting with others, how we're treating the earth around us. Can we create this healthy system from which all of us end up flourishing even more? With that, I'm going to go ahead and end. I would like to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll eat and feast and celebrate and talk and remember as a community. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mindfulness of how we belong to you, to earth, and to each other. Um, Thank you for your long and very persistent way of uh, pursuing humanity and the health of humanity and helping us learn how to be fully human. And even as a lot of these concepts can be quite difficult for us to figure out how to do in our crazy and complex societies now, Um, Help us turn to you to say, what is the thing that you desire? And how is it that we can enact that in our communities now? And in Jesus' name, we pray for these things.